Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Afternoon, everyone. I'm Rabbi Chaitovsky from BMHBJ here in Denver, and a pleasure for me to be here and a pleasure to welcome uh, my good friend and longtime colleague, Rabbi Asher LePatin. Um, today, we're gonna to be discussing the enterprise of, uh, of taking traditional Jewish values and seeing how they might apply to uh, contemporary society in an effort to determine if Judaism can be considered woke or unwoke. And Rabbi LePatin is going to uh, share some insights and some interesting um, scenarios and hypotheticals. Um, just for the benefit of those who may not know who Rabbi Lepatin is, <clears throat> he is, among other things, a, 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 wonderful wife, a wonderful husband and father, and he is the executive director of the JCRC, AJC in Detroit, and the founding rabbi of Kihilat Eitz Chaim uh, in Huntington Hills, uh, Detroit. Um, a synagogue that uh, was built with the aim of providing him uh, with a pulpit. He's also the founding director of the Detroit Center for Civil Discourse, um, a brilliant Rhodes Scholar, Truman Fellow, expertise in medieval Arab thought and from Oxford University. He's done doctoral work at St. Anthony's College in Islamic fundamentalist attitude towards Jews and Israel. He recently returned from uh, a trip to Dubai. Uh, he has contributed chapters to over 20 books, numerous um, uh, academic articles, popular articles. And before coming to Detroit, he was the immediate past president of Yeshivat Chovevei Torah, rabbinical school in New York, and the rabbi of a uh, really groundbreaking synagogue, Anshe Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation in Chicago. Uh, he is a musmach of Rav Aaron Soloveitchik, Yeshivas Brisk in Chicago, as well as from Yeshiva University. Um, one thing about his old synagogue, when synagogues were decrying the difficulty in getting millennials to come on Shabbat and to programming at his synagogue, his synagogue was overrun with millennials who attended every time, all the time. And he's written about that. And maybe that's something that he'll talk about today. Without any further ado, pleasure to present my good friend, Rabbi Asher Lepatin. Oh, thank you so much, Rabbi Chaitovsky. That was such a beautiful and kind introduction. You know, uh, thank you. And uh, sometimes it's all downhill from there, but just to hear it was very nice. So um, thank you so much. Um, I think, um, I hope, you know, I'm going to touch on a lot of different things. And you'll see, we'll have time to Q&A and for your comments and uh, really uh, to, to unpack some of what I say. So I'm um, asking everyone to sort of uh, be patient uh, with, uh, the, uh, with the class. And, uh, and then uh, we'll, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes. I think it should be, uh, should be a lot of, I wanna say fun, should be interesting. I think there'll be a lot of ups and downs. 
And some parts of it really might make you want to burst out and comment and ask questions. So again, we'll have time for that. And, and thank you, Pam and Julia and, and Valley Bait Midrash. And I have to say, I just love, love the work that uh, Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz does, both the educational and the activist side, and uh, just an amazing leader and inspiration to our world. And I love the work that Rabbi Chaitovsky is doing in, uh, in Denver. So, um, so without further ado, I am going to share my screen and uh, we'll get started. It's gonna be sort of divided into two parts, one sort of the bigger issues and then one boom, 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 we'll go through a lot of other issues and we'll see how woke uh, traditional Judaism is. A little bit, I'm Orthodox, I'm modern Orthodox, I'm progressive Orthodox. Uh, some people would call me open Orthodox. I'm sort of on the, the liberal side of Orthodoxy. So, but not everyone in this that's listening to this, that's in this wonderful audience right now or continues to be in the audience uh, when it gets recorded. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be Orthodox. I think everyone's going to find this interesting because we're dealing with issues that really affect um, everybody and touch everyone. So let me... I've uh, rehearsed this, share, this screen sharing. I'm not really going to share, to uh, spend a lot of time at all defining the word, the term woke. It might be a little bit, is it critical? Is it criticism? Is it a critique? Is it, uh, you know, d diminutive, demeaning? You know, is woke good or bad? You know, happy to be woke. But I kind of mean, you'll get the feel for it. You know, whether is Judaism really, um, progressive? Is it liberal? Is it inclusive? Is it open-minded? Is it sensitive to history? Is it aware of the issues that we are facing today? All those uh, uh, terms for all those kind of things that fit into uh, woke in, in, a, in a very positive way. Um, I actually want to start off with something I heard on CNN today. Uh, I, I have it on my Sirius radio. So I didn't see it. So it was about, uh, a, I think, a comedian or a commentator or an influencer, Scott Gallagher. He's going to have a show on CNN Plus. I don't know what he looks like. I just know that he defines himself as a cisgender white male, uh, he uh, uh, heterosexual male. And, but he happens to cross-dress sometimes, and he likes to do that, I guess, to be provocative, to do it actually to be, you know, really inclusive, to show it's okay. Um, and uh, he was speaking, I guess he was dressed as in, in women's clothing, and he was speaking to an audience, and someone stood up and said, you know, I find uh, my son is a transgender uh, person, and they find your cross-dressing to be offensive, transphobic, and very hurtful. I don't know why I'm welling up with tears now. I must say that, that his reaction was incredible because he was, he didn't push back defensively. My wife, Rachel, always says that she knows that when I get defensive, I know I'm wrong. So she didn't, uh, he didn't uh, push back. He says, you know what? You are sincere and I hear what you say and I apologize and I'm not going to do that anymore. And and the amazing thing is that here he thought he was being so woke, let's say, uh, and he found out that he was not being woke. Another area um, is uh, apparently, this is what I'm told, is that uh, talking about people's Latinx, people, Latinos, Latinas, uh, Hispanics, uh, people talking, using the term Latinx, 
which I had started to use a lot because it's cool and I think it's inclusive and it doesn't, uh, you know, signify men, women, anything like that. But apparently a lot of studies have shown that uh, Latinos themselves and Latinas don't like the term Latinx. So it's not always, or they don't use it. It's not always clear what is really woke. What is being inclusive and sensitive and caring and aware of sen the, the sensitivities of people. So um, with that sort of uh, introduction, um, I wanted to go through again, a couple of bigger issues uh, that I think uh, really show how Judaism, and again, I'm speaking from a bit of a traditional Orthodox point of view, but uh, Judaism in general, uh, uh, how it struggles with being open-minded and woke and sensitive and progressive and also being all of this true to what it believes is Judaism, is God's will, is the Torah, is the tradition. Everything that I'm really uh, talking about in this class, I don't believe is any one of these folks that I'll be quoting thinks that they are deviating from the tradition. And that you know, you might get a very different presentation from someone uh, from a different denomination of Judaism or different attitude. All these people are saying, this is what Judaism, God believes, this is what our Torah believes, our tradition believes. And some of it sounds to me, and I see myself on the more progressive side of, of, uh, of Judaism, of orthodoxy, sounds great. And some of it will sound really uh, problematic. So, um, on the positive side that I see, and again, I'm giving a judgment, so sorry. Uh, on the woke side is uh, my rabbi, Rav Aaron Soloveitchik of blessed memory. Uh, and I studied with him in Chicago for several years. And I studied with him and, and was his uh, assistant really uh, in, uh, in New York when he would fly into Yeshiva University. Um, Rav Aaron Soloveitchik wrote a, a great book, uh, Logic of the heart, logic of the mind. Uh, this is a, not easy to get, but uh, one of the articles, he has a, several articles, uh, but one of the articles in this book is civil rights. Uh, and you hear a lot of um, Orthodox thinkers, especially rabbis, uh, saying Judaism doesn't believe in rights, it believes in responsibilities. Uh, and it always bothered me. I heard that actually probably in 1980 four or something like that, a uh, great lecture that uh, Rabbi J.D. Bleich gave, a brilliant uh, uh, lecture. And, um, but he was arguing, so that was, I don't know, that 40 years ago almost, that uh, Judaism doesn't have rights, it has responsibilities. Ravon Soloveitchik, no, civil rights. And he was, he's written articles about the civil rights movement and how important it is. And he talks about first come rights, then come responsibilities. Uh, and so uh, I admire this because rights, people's right to not be hurt, to not be harmed, and he talks about that, not to be insulted, um, not to be uh, you know, put down and bullied. Those are rights that we have. Uh, and that's, I think, part of wokeism, really, that we have, you have a right uh, to be respected. Uh, and uh, and for my my son uh, Judah, um, uh, I, I love all my kids. Uh, Judah comes up with a lot of interesting uh, 
new laws. And one of them is uh, based on the prohibition of uh, that Maimonides talks about that you're not allowed to um, call someone by a nickname that they don't like. You have to call them by their name and you can't make up a name for them they don't like. Uh, my English name is Andrew and I never liked Andy. Other people love Andy, but Andy Levin, you know, a congressman, but I didn't like Andy. So the Maimonides, the great uh, halachic authority of the uh, 12th century says, no, you're not allowed to use that. But he used the Hebrew word kinoi, um, which also means a pronoun. And my son Judah is in the process of proving that you have to be sensitive to uh, call people by the pronoun of their choice. You can't say, I'm gonna call you he, I'm gonna refer you as he or him, even though you wanna be referred to as they or, or, or something else. No, Jewish law says you have to refer to them by a pronoun that, that works for them. They have a right to their pronoun. That's what it's saying. You have a right to your name. You have a right to your pronoun. Um, and so that's beautiful that I think Ravon Soloveitchik maintains this idea and doesn't just abandon it for responsibilities. One of the great works, um, and, and that's next on this list, is the Nefesh HaChaim, uh, one of the great works of, okay, it is Zohar, it's Kabbalah, it's mysticism, but it's a formative work of the, actually the Litvak school, those people that are really into Talmud and into sort of uh, studying the law, they're also into uh, the idea of, um, of mysticism. And this was written in the, uh, in the late uh, 18th century by Rabbi Chaim of Volozhin. Um, and he starts out in his book by talking about the creation of the human being in the image of God. I am sure Rabbi Yanklowitz has had uh, a Rabbi Yitz Greenberg at Valley Beit Midrash. And uh, imagine maybe Rabbi Chaitovsk might also have had him as a guest or uh, knows of him very, very well and has studied him, one of the leaders of modern orthodoxy. Uh, Rabbi Yitzkremer talks a lot about the image of God that every human being has it. Well, this book written by uh, the, the founder of the Volozhin Yeshiva. So uh, all the Soloveitchiks, when you hear that word Soloveitchiks, they, they come from Rabbi Chaim of Volozhin uh, and his wife. Uh, but he wrote this book called Nefesh Chaim, the soul of life. And he starts out by talking about the human being, not about the Jew, but the human being. And it's an answer a bit to a very famous book, Tanya, by written by the founder of the Lubavitch Chabad movement, Rav Shneir Zaman of Liadi. That book talks much more about particularistic about what the Jews need. It talks, starts with a whole discussion of uh, Jewish concerns about being a bain no need, being in the middle, and talks about who has a soul. And I don't want to get into Tanya, but it's fascinating that I think I've been told by some of my Soloveitchik teachers that Reb Chaim of Elijah wrote his book to answer, to be pushback to Tanya, to Reb Shneir Zamaliadi, who was a contemporary. Uh, and the point was to show in this point, I believe, this is my own understanding, is that there's a, uh, we've got to start with the universal. We can't start with just, we're Jews, we've got to start with the universal. This reflects a little bit of the, um, 
uh, Rabbi Hartman, Rabbi David Hartman, when he compares the great work of Maimonides, the Yad Chazaka, his, his legal work, to the great poet's work, Rabbi Yehuda Levi, this is all 12th century, 11th century, Yehuda Levi's Kuzari, great work of Jewish uh, philosophy and theology. Um, Maimonides has a universalistic view. He has an expansive view. And I'm kind of putting him in the woke category. I mean, I don't know if Maimonides would be happy to be considered woke, but actually Rabbi David Hartman of blessed memory was someone who kind of made and made us understand that Maimonides is a lot more woke than we might've thought and a lot more and he's universalist. And he starts off his book talking about creation, talking about appreciating, appreciating creation uh, and the world. Okay, Jews, everyone has their own religion, Christians, you have ethnic groups, you're, you know, you're Ukrainian, you're Russian, you're different nationality, but the more woke view I think is, and the view of that, that, that helps you be more sensitive to people that might not be part of your circle is universalism. And uh, that is something that Maimonides talks about versus Rabbi Yehuda Halevi, who starts off talking about the exodus from Egypt. And that's where he starts. That's a Jewish experience. Of course, uh, others, uh, certainly the African-American community and many others have seen that book of the, the exodus, the exodus of Egypt as, as a freedom for all people, but that's not the, really the way Rabbi Yehuda Levi sees it. He sees it as a Jewish experience. Um, you know, I, I had uh, uh, mentioned that I want to look at Cast versus uh, by Isabel Wilkerson versus Bad News by Bacha Unger Sargon. Um, that's uh, a little bit of an outlier from sort of these classic sources that I'm looking at. But the interesting thing there is, um, um, yeah, you know, just Bacha Unger Sargon, who again also comes as a scion of great uh, um, uh, scholarly, Jewish scholarly families uh, from the Nitziv, the great Naftali Tzviyuda Berlin, as her great great grandfather. Um, she talks about that if we overly upset, I'm going to use this term, it's a little risky, obsess about race, what she sees as obsession. Isabel Wilkerson, it's a powerful book of cast and it's amazing how she connects race, Isabella, um, Isabel Wilkerson, uh, racism against Jews in Nazi Germany versus racism against uh, African-Americans, blacks in America and uh, the caste system in India, she brings them all together. Very important for Jew, a book for Jews in particular to read. Um, but Isabel Wilkinson makes a strong argument that it is about race and there is that kind of caste system. Uh, Unger Sargon says that if we, if we talk too much about race, we're gonna forget about inequality in America, which is not necessarily based on race. It's people that are poor people. There are white people that are poor. There are black people that are poor. Um, and what she, her theory is that by talking too much about race, that is a way of escaping the problems of inequality in America. So um, uh, that's sort of a question of where Judaism's focus has been much more on inequality. If you read the uh, Psalms of the day that are traditionally said after prayer services, 
they're all about, a lot of them about the poor and the weak. And even on the Sabbath, on Shabbat, we introduce the uh, prayers with Matzil Ani Mechazak Mimenu, that a verse that God saves the poor person from someone who is more powerful than they are. So Judaism actually, and this is, um, we're not going to be able to unpack all this, but Judaism is uh, very much uh, about uh, sort of um, income inequality and that, you know, and solving that problem and is probably a little less woke about uh, racial issues. So it, that's something that Bacha Ungar sort of points out, and it's something to, to think about. Two more big sources, and then I'm going to go into uh, um, I'm going to go into some uh, really exciting things happening in Judaism and in traditional Judaism that make us a little bit woke, and then things that maybe are not so woke. Um, so one of my favorite scholars uh, is Charles Chevelle, uh, classic, uh, almost like iconic book, uh, Nachmanides on the Torah. Uh, iconic means, you know, like an idol, so we can't say iconic, but uh, classic, his commentary, his translation of Nachmanides on the Torah, and he has a critical edition in Hebrew on the great uh, medieval scholar Nachmanides. Um, and it is really Chevelle who makes the argument in Nachmanides that the only reason Judaism talks about saving lives, and you know, the law of pikuach nefesh, of saving life in Judaism is so critical, so important, and pushes away almost every other law, certainly Sabbath and other laws. Nachmanides argues that the only reason we have the law for saving the lives of Jews is because we're told to save Gentiles' lives. So this is, you see it in Leviticus 25. Um, there's a verse, if you're kin being in straits, um, comes under your authority and you're held by you as long as it. let them live by your sides. Ger vetoshav, the Hebrew is ger vetoshav, the stranger. This translation is thank you so much for Safaria, but it's a little bit not exactly what I think uh, Nachmanis is looking at, but it says ger vetoshav, the stranger, not the Jewish convert to Judaism, but the non Jew, the, the, uh, Ger Toshav, the non-Jew who lives in your midst, shall live with you. Let them live side by your side. Um, and if you look at Maimonides there, uh, first of all, um, the meaning is that, and this includes a little of the footnote I included, see my note in Hebrew commentary. This is the correct interpretation of the intent of Ramban. So because, we'll get this in a second, go to the bigger writing. The stranger or the settler, this is like not the settler in today's word, uh, you know, verbiage, but the non-Jew shall be enabled to live with you, it being a positive commandment to support him. And it is from here that we deduce that we are commanded by means of a positive commandment to save life. Now, I think this is one of the most woke things and universal things in the Torah, uh, that the only reason we know to save the life of a Jew and how powerful that is. And again, if you ask any authority, um, it, it go, my, my Rebbe, Rav Aaron Soloveitchik, was always, Bikuach Nefesh, if any doubt that someone, there's any possible risk to life, you violate almost any commandment and go help them. Um, 
And I remember with his wife once, Ella of blessed memory, um, there was a drip, the, the hot water heater uh, in the kitchen, um, the urn was dripping water a little bit. And he was pleading with her, Ella, Ella, let me unplug it, Ella. Now she was the frummer one in the family. So she, not, she didn't say, no, we don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. He was pleading, let me do it. Um, but it's interesting that um, it's not clear whether um, Nachmanides is referring to the verse that we looked at, Ger Other commentators on Nachmanides say it's referring to that next verse, uh, this is about your brother, and that's what Nachmanides is talking about. So it is Charles Chevelle who says, no, no, no. Nachmanides is saying that you have an obligation to save a life of a non-Jew on Shabbat and in other cases. And that's how you know you have to save a life of a Jew, only because you have to save a life of the outsider of the Ger Vitosham. So very powerful. But Nebuch, a few verses later in Leviticus, you get this stuff about slaves, Oh my gosh, the nations around you that you may acquire male and female slaves. Now look, the slavery in America was horrific. No, the world has not experienced that kind of slavery. And they were kidnapped and they were killed by, by coming across. I mean, so many died um, at a, just horrific conditions on the ships across the Atlantic, but they were kidnapped. So, okay, you could say they weren't acquired, they weren't bought, but these verses are very probably these are not woke verses in Leviticus and it continues you know you may buy them from your children of aliens their families um they shall become your property so you know Rabbi David Hartman would say we got to keep these verses in the Torah but he cringes at these kind of verses so on the one hand we got this beautiful Nachmanides interpretation of the verse that says you've got to care for the non-Jew like the Jew it's amazing uh, and the only reason you care for the Jew is because you care for the non-Jew on the other hand you get these very tough verses that need to be interpreted in Rabbi Eliezer Berkowitz talks about I mean I'm not the first person to notice these verses but um, certainly not very woke. One other source, and then we'll go to like some exciting details that I'm really excited to, to go into. Um, ah, Rav Menachem Hameiri, the great Menachem Hameiri from Peripignon. I didn't know that he was from Peripignon in Provence. Um, amazing, very powerful. So, you know, the Talmud, the Jewish book of law, really uh, talks about, rabbis are talking about non-Jews, this, the idolaters, can you steal from them? Do you have to return their objects if you find them? Uh, if they lose their objects, you can you cook for them on the holiday or only to Jews, all these things. So uh, Meiri, and this is Professor Sophie Begot Goldblum talks about this in her work, The Universalist from Perepignon. I uh, just love that name of the town. I never knew he came. I knew he came from Provence, but to uh, get to pronounce the French like that is a real treat. So indeed, the Meiri's claim to fame is to have attempted to distinguish between Ovde Kochavim, star worshippers of the Talmud, and his contemporary Gentile neighbors. 
whose practices and beliefs are little in common with those idolaters with whose contact with Jews the early rabbis curtailed. So um, Meiri held that a great number of restrictions and prohibitions that one should maintain vis-a-vis -vis idolaters did not apply to the Christians. There were all sorts of laws of a staying away and their houses of worship and how you refer to their houses of worship. There's a whole other question of whether uh, Christianity is idolatry and many said it's not. There are those that say Hinduism is not idolatry. Uh, Rav Daniel Sperber wrote a, a book on that. But the key thing is the Meiri says, regardless of whether idolaters or not, they are civilized people. They have nimusim in Hebrew, like nimusim are, sort of, you know, um, uh, manners, you know, I don't know. And it's a word in Hebrew and, you know, uh, early Zionists were not into manners so much in civilization. They like rebelled against that. But um, anyone, and he talks, I mean, he talks about those in India and he's living in the 14th century early. They have manners, they have nimusim, they have laws. And so he really, the particularism and the unwoke, parts of the Talmud that talk about the Gentiles and the idolaters in such nasty ways and in such exclusive ways, um, he says, doesn't apply to anyone today that is civilized. These were primitive people that respected nothing and respect the law. We don't have them anymore, basically. Um, so that's really huge, powerful, uh, I think a woke authority. Um, but let's see how in today's traditional, contemporary traditional Judaism, how we, how we rate. Well, it's interesting. Um, and I, I um, we, uh, let me go down to actually, um, hmm, let's see if we have, yeah. Uh, I mean, let's look at number four first, because we just talked about the Me'iri, who happens to say that when it talks about Gentiles, it doesn't refer to today's Gentiles, it refers to other Gentiles. Well, um, you know, uh, not so much for traditional Judaism. In some ways, yes. For instance, uh, and Ramosha Halbertal uh, demonstrates this very powerfully, um, the, there's a law about only cooking for Jews on the Jewish holidays, that you're not allowed to cook for a non-Jew. And the Meiri says, no, that's referring to those ancient idolaters that have nothing to do with Gentiles around today. So he is really, he's serious about this law. It's not just sort of like a nice philosophy of love everybody, but it's serious. Um, and yet Rav Aram Soloveitchik in a great article Again, in this great book on uh, logic of the mind, logic of the heart, logic of the mind, he talks about Jew and Jew, Jew and non-Jew. So on the one hand, I mean, this is beautiful. He, he was so respectful for people, regardless of race, regardless of religion, it, it, it didn't affect him. Uh, there was a man, a porter in the airport that he was so kind to and caring for. Uh, and he has this idea that Kvod Habriot, didn't make it up, it's in the Talmud, um, is the logical love towards Gentiles. So you have to have a rational, logical love. But he says there's a difference between Jews and non-Jews. Not Jews, you have to have a rational love for. I mean, I must say that uh, as a Jew, if we didn't have a rational love, it'd be very hard in some of our communities, uh, especially in sometimes... I love all my congregants. These are great congregants I have here in Detroit, but you know, 
you got to have a rational love, otherwise you're in trouble. But for the Gentiles, he says, it needs to be only rational. So it doesn't mean loving your enemy when they're about to harm you. That's only for a Jew. Some way you have to love them. Um, so, you know, is that woke or is it there? So again, and well, prohibition on intermarriage. So Meiri and even uh, uh, Professor Halbertal, I don't think anyone says that the Meiri would say that those laws in the Torah and in the rabbinic writings that prohibit Jews marrying Gentiles would not apply to Gentiles today. No one would say that. No one that I've seen has said that. Um, but that's really a tough one. If you're really, really, if you think everyone's equal and you have to save the life of non-Jews, you know, what do you do about, um, about these laws of prohibiting intermarriage? I remember when uh, Joe Lieberman was running for vice president, uh, he was asked for that, about that. And he um, kind of, I don't know if you're listening, he, there's no one like Joe Lieberman, but uh, it was a tough question for him. Let me just say that. And so um, therefore, um, this is really hard. Now, I, I would say um, that, how do I deal with that? I'll say as a, as a progressive rabbi. Um, so I can't, you know, the halacha, the law is very strict. The law is not woke as far as intermarriage, I'm sorry. But what I would say to people in counseling them about marriage I would say that the desire of God, uh, as far as we know, the Torah, the tradition, is for you to marry someone that makes you the best Jew and the best human being that you can be, that respects you, that loves you, that makes you the best Jew and the best human being you can be. Usually, that is marrying another Jew, and not only a Jew, but someone committed to the values of Judaism that you're committed to. So that's, you know, a, a Christian usually is not going to be the one that makes you the best you can be. But as a woke person, I would have to say that I respect decisions of people. If they say I'm marrying this person, they're going to let me be the best Jew I can be. They're going to, let's say the children are going to be Jewish and they're going to raise Jewish kids. And, and again, the law is not woke. I can't say that the law says that's okay, but a general attitude, I think you can say that I can respect, have a respect for people if that is how they are marrying. And that is, so that is a woke concept. In other words, like the philosophy of marriage, of marrying only Jews is, can be woke because it can really be that I want you to marry someone who is going to make you the best person you can be. And we can discuss if you're born a Jew, you know, being Jewish, is that the best that you can be? But let's take that as a given, I, I would, that if you're a Jew and you're born Jewish and raised Jewish, then you're going to be the best human being when you're Jewish, however you interpret that. So then you want to marry someone, you want to have a life partner of that, that person. Now, really, so I can be a happy camper of all that and, you know, but then the question really comes uh, when, uh, with syncretic marriage, where people are saying, I'm going to raise the kid as a uh, at both a Jew and a Christian. And that's really hard because actually a lot of, uh, and let's get out of the orthodoxy, a lot of uh, organizations that like, I think it was one Big Tent Judaism, um, um, uh, Rabbi Olitsky, where they're fine, intermarriage, no judgment, you know, we've lost that war or whatever. Everyone's intermarried, not everyone, but 
outside of New York, uh, now orthodoxy, like 80% of Jews are intermarrying. Fine, just let's help you make it a Jewish home and make the best of it. But it's really hard. And I was actually looking for literature on this of uh, this syncretic relationship when one person is made Jewish and one, you know, how do you Jewishly look at the idea of a couple that is raising their kids in two religions? How do you look on that in a positive way? Are we that? We're not that woke, I don't think. But I should say uh, that in, in Detroit, uh, Alicia Chandler as uh, work on her doctorate. She's leading the cause. She was a former president of our organization. She's Jewish. She's married to a Catholic. She's leading the cause to sort of, you know, super woke uh, in a sense of they're raising their kids in both religions and showing how that is consistent with Judaism. So I can't really get there, but it's fascinating that, that she's there. Let me, um, good, we have like uh, five or 10 minutes. So let's, we have a lot of issues here. But um, uh, I want to call, um, and they're all so tempting, but let's look at LGBTQ. Let's look at uh, how traditional Judaism deals with it. You know, a lot of people think that it's not very woke uh, orthodoxy because a lot of it is sort of like, we'll tolerate you. First of all, we'll let you into our synagogue if you're gay, you know, we're not gonna judge you. We judge the action. We don't judge the person, all those kind of things. And uh, I guess that's a level that's better than I think where orthodoxy used to be. But there are that are a little bit more woke. And one of them is Rav Maidan. Uh, he has written about this. It's not easy to find, but he has written publicly about this. Um, he has a concept of chaver l'chaim, of someone who is gay, um, let's say a, a male person, it could be a woman also, uh, same-sex relationships um, that he calls if you really need companionship and uh, you are homosexual, then you can get a chaver l'chaim, a lifetime friend. And at least he has a name for it. He is not in favor of marriage, of gay marriage. He's not in favor of, uh, of uh, sexual relations amongst these, these men uh, or women who do it. Uh, but he does have at least the concept of not only can you have, find a life partner, but also you can arrange a, arrange a shutfut mamon a, um, a partnership, uh, an economic partnership. So uh, look, this is woke, but it is pretty groundbreaking that he is actually, Rav Meidan is, is the Rosh Hashiva of the Gush Yeshiva. Uh, and um, by the way, um, it, it's one of the amazing, it's a very from a religious yeshiva, it's a leading yeshiva. But they do have, um, you know, he has written about this and okay, I guess it's out there. But um, so, you know, it's very, you know, on the one hand, you might say that is not woke at all. Uh, but on the other hand, it's, I think it's very significant progress or if you're progressive, it's a good thing. Now, interestingly, uh, this is a fascinating and we got, we got a few more minutes. Um, uh, you know, we don't have to go into a lot of details, the whole issue of uh, uh, acts between same-sex male couples or female couples, but it's fascinating that the, um, in a very strange case, the ultra-Orthodox Beit Din of Yerushalayim, the uh, official court of Jerusalem, 
in a strange case that I actually don't want to give the details of, um, they ruled that there is no Torah prohibition for any kind of uh, same-sex act, certainly between men and sort of apply to women also, um, uh, except for um, intercourse. So, uh, but all other acts are not prohibited from the Torah. They don't even, it's not even clear, you know, rabbinically could be discussed. Fascinating that the Beit Yerushalayim, now, again, their, their motivation for it was not woke at all, but this is interesting that when the Torah says, talks about uh, in sort of a very vague verse, two different verses of Mishkav Zahar, of, of uh, um, men sleeping together, it's so uh, obscure, the Talmud elucidates on it and commentaries do, but that's not referring to any kind of sexual act, but one, one particular act. So this is sort of, is Judaism woke or not? I don't know. Let me just say one other thing that's really very interesting um, is that conversion therapy. Um, and I was just at a conference, I came in and out, but it was in England uh, on, uh, and I, it was certainly introduced by Orthodox, it was actually multi-religion interfaith, but there was a, the chief uh, rabbi of Poland spoke, uh, Rabbi Shudrich, and um, against conversion therapy. And actually, I put down here in RCA, Roman Council of America, many pretty centrist, orthodox, traditional Jews who are not into gay marriage and are not into anything like that. They are against conversion therapy. Um, and that's, I think, very, uh, that is recognizing that if someone is gay, we're not trying to change them. Uh, we accept them for who they are. So that's a big deal. Um, it's not maybe as big a deal as it could be because um, uh, because it's not a uh, that it's a lot of it is the motivation is that we want to prevent suicide and we believe that uh, you know if we let uh, if we do this conversion therapy a lot of times it tragically it leads to suicide if we don't accept people as they are it could lead to suicide so it's kind of like a bitty eved I would say you know it's like an exposed factor like. Nebuch, what can we do? We can't try to change you because we're afraid you're going to, you know, harm yourself. Um, it's not woke in the sense of we accept you because this is who you are and you're just as legitimate as anyone else um, in your orientation, but it's progress. So um, this is, I'm going to need two more minutes uh, and uh, just look for a second at, um, at uh, maybe something that is, uh, um, maybe something that's controversial. You'll see. If you want to get the notes, I'm sure Valley Bait Midrash will give you these notes. Uh, and uh, But let's look at kashrut in two minutes. Um, so kosher. Well, I don't have to. Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz is, is uh, you know, um, Shemaim Ba'aretz as an organization. Uh, like he's the master of, of this in this area. And he's practicing, a practicing vegan. God bless him. You know, uh, I would, and even when I want to give up meat, there's a discussion that milk is the other side of veal. And the reason there's veal is because there's milk or the reason there's milk because there's veal. But so Nebuch, I eat meat and I drink milk, not at the same time. But um, you might say, you know, where is Judaism kosher as far as being woke and caring? Um, 
and true, there are vegetarians in uh, in our tradition. There is Rav Cook, and we're we have one minute to do this. But um, what I would say, and what I hang on a lot, because ideally I would like to be a vegetarian. I just love meat, and I love milk, and I love cheese, and it's what what can you do? It's difficult. You're not allowed to not supposed to say what can you do. What you can do is stop eating it. But okay, I'm weak. But um, thinking about the messianic era when you know we're gonna have are we talking in the traditional jewish liturgy talks about these sacrifices so what's going on that's not very woke like we're gonna still kill animals to express our love for god very strange um and because Rav Cook, uh you know cohen cook said in the messianic era we will be vegetarians and there are jewish traditions about that so one thing I would say is that if you go back to look at your, um, the Musaf service, the additional service that's in conservative Sidurim and Orthodox, um, and I, it might be in some reform, but it would be changed. It never mentions slaughtering the animal. It doesn't say then we will slaughter the animal, so we will offer. And it also uses the term be'ahavad, always uses the term we'll offer it with love. When I read those parts, I'm woke Rabbi Lopatin, I think, uh, I don't know how we're gonna offer these, but we're gonna offer them with love. And if love means we're not gonna kill the animals, well, then I'm fulfilling my prayers because we don't mention kill the animals. We offer them and with love. So I think that you can squeeze love, uh, wokeism and sensitivity towards animals, uh, even from uh, the, the, the Musa service. One other point, and then we'll, uh, two other quick points, and then we'll open up for questions. Um, first of all, I remember I was sitting with uh, a, a Kashrut supervisor, and he said um, that he asked the great Ravel Yashiv, Alav uh, Shalom, a great uh, Haredi, really the last Israeli Haredi Posek, ultra-Orthodox Posek that was accepted uh, broadly, um, is there cruel, does cruelty to animals apply when you're about to slaughter the animal? You're gonna slaughter the animal. That's permissible from the Torah. So should we worry about, there is a law about not being cruel to animals, or maybe it doesn't apply when you're gonna slaughter the animal. And Baruch Hashem, thank God, Rebel Yeshua said, yes. You have to be careful, uh, you know, to uh, be very careful, not cause undue cruelty or harm to the animal, even when it's being led to the slaughter, it still applies. So that's wokeism uh, from Rav El Yashiv. And finally, you know, I think actually, and uh, Rabbi uh, Yanklos can correct me, but there have been advances in the US kosher market. And I believe in Israel also prohibiting shackling and hoisting, which was really very cruel. And uh, Temple Grandin is consulted, uh, who as a sen understands sensitivity towards animals. So there is some progress in the meat industry. Uh, it's slow. Um, I think Empire Chicken made a secret deal that they would be extra careful. So there's a little bit of progress going on. Um, so is Judaism woke? I would say there are very strong elements of wokeism in, uh, in the Jewish tradition and in orthodoxy. And um, I would say that, um, um, that we, um, it's a journey. 
it's a journey. Someone, the last comment I see here is how would you define woke? Um, and I will, Pam, let's open it up, right? So you'll you'll manage the, the group. Sure, Rav Asher, Yashikar. Yeah, we'd love to hear questions and engagement from folks. So Pam, while we're waiting, should I just go through the, or I see Rabbi Chaitovsky unmuted. Should we? I did only because there's someone who asked the question in the, in the chat. Um, and it's one I think that is worth answering. I so just, so you didn't define woke at the beginning. Right. right. So how are you? How, how are you defining woke on yeah. the basis of what you presented and applicability to us today? So I think I would define woke as um, being sensitive, really. It's about being fully sensitive in a sense of being awake and fully sensitive to the needs of and concerns and feelings of people and animals uh, around us. And in particular, use this term in particular, I would say uh, that being woke is has a universalistic quality that uh, being uh, sensitive um, to, uh, to, to people that are not part of your group. Because you know what I would say, Rabbi Chaitovsky, um, a lot of times um, I see that posting that Jewish halachic decisors, when they are sensitized to something, they can be incredibly um, helpful. They can find Jewish law that is incredibly uh, sensitive and flexible. And it's just a question of, are they sensitized to it? So I really say woke is being fully sensitized to something. Now, I do know that, one. I would add one thing to that. I would say being sensitized to something and being so sensitized to that, being so, feeling it so strongly to have that empathy and sympathy that you're willing to do something about it. So there was a, a great rabbi, Aaron Lichtenstein, one of the great, great non-Orthodox rabbis of our era, um, one of the, the founders of the uh, Yeshivat Haaretzion. So he um, frequently said, I think it was he said at first, maybe others said before, that, you know, that a lot of times this is my binding of Isaac moment. So when we look at the binding of Isaac, when Abraham was told by God to slaughter his son, to take him as an offering, and he goes up and he has to fight his, he loves his son so much, and yet God tells him to do this and he has to follow God. Um, and the end, you know, I don't want to give away the story, but you probably all know it, um, that God says, no, take him, don't do it, don't do it, I don't want you to do it. And, and then he takes a, he does kill an animal, but a ram. But, um, uh, but you, what I would say, and I, you might've heard it, and Rav Shmuel, you might've heard this already, that um, there is a Jewish tradition that says that Abraham misheard God. God never said, slaughter your son. God said, raise him as an offering. It's right there in the Rashi. It's right there in the classic commentator of, on the Torah. And therefore um, had, had Abra Abraham was woke in the sense of being sensitive to his son um, and he loved his son, he cared, but wokeism in the best uh, um, understanding of that word is willing to say, wait a second, uh, I love my, did God really tell me to kill my son? No, God just said, raise him as an offering. So why didn't I need to unpack that more? What does that mean? 
Uh, and so the sensitivity, so when it gets back to Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, sometimes we say, oh, I, I feel so bad, it's so sad, I have to tell you no, I have to, you can't do it, you can't marry this person, you can't do this person. But um, wokeism, and I believe the Torah tells us, like that story of Abraham and Isaac, that when you really feel something deeply, you got to work at it, you got to research it, you got to, um, you know, uh, do whatever you can talk to different scholars and rabbis and plead and say, wait a sec, isn't there something we can do? I just got a, uh, a text from a friend about um, a, someone who wants to marry a, he's a Kohen, he's a priest. He wants to marry someone who is a divorcee and there's a whole issue of not marrying a divorcee for a Kohen. Um, what can we do about this? So that's like a situation you say, oh, I feel terrible, but it's not enough. Um, there's a great uh, book. Um, sorry, I'm looking back. Uh, yeah, the God, God Who Hates Lies. You got to get this book uh, by Rabbi Hartman, David Hartman, who had that case. And he said in the end, he married them. But I would argue that it's not that we have to say, uh, okay, we're going to change the Torah because I'm woke and I'm sensitive and I'm feeling this person's pain and the Torah is not working for that person. So I'm going to change the Torah or I'm going to ignore the Torah. No, I would say differently. I would say, go back and spend the time and research it and work on it and see what the Jewish tradition really says. So Abraham, look, he is amazing. Abraham, he loved God. He was willing to sacrifice his son, but not taking that away from him. But the tradition says he should have looked a little bit harder and he would have found the answer that God never wanted him to do that. So um, wokeism is a combination of sensitivity awareness, empathy, and the desire, the willingness to do something about it. Um, so we have some, I'll go through these questions, I guess, Pam. Um, uh, yeah, uh, truth, look, one person's truth, another person's falsehood, I don't know. But I, I hear the idea of that critical race theory is just thrown around as a political term and cancel culture. And what can you do? Everyone's truth. You know, I realize in in working with, uh, I'm, I'm the as Rabbi Chatovsky mentioned, the executive director of the JCRC AJC, and uh, we are the Jewish Community Relations Council, and we work with wonderful Muslims, imams, people in different communities, and you realize sometimes people have different narratives, totally different narratives, and you're not going to convince them. So people have a narrative that this, this is that critical race theory is the most dangerous thing in the world. You know, I'm not going to convince them necessarily, but um, I, I hear what the questioner was saying. Um, yeah. Um, oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, Debbie Altman asked, you know, can you please address a number about Jews in the South in opposition to slavery? And it's very embarrassing because there's, I, I don't know, I haven't researched it sufficiently. And I'm sure there are, there were Jews. In fact, there were Jews. There was a rabbi in Atlanta who spoke out against slavery, was kicked out. But, uh, or I apologize, I think it was Baltimore. I apologize, a famous rabbi. But, in general, it seems that the Jews in the South, like we're like everyone else in the South, that they didn't love it, or whatever, they like, they didn't oppose it. And the Jews in the North were in general more anti-slavery. And I'm a little bit sad that uh, you look at Quakers. Okay, I understand Judaism, you know, everyone's human and you're in that culture and whatever. We can't judge people, you know, from that era. Um, I mean, it's just so sad. Um, but I wish like the Quakers, the Quakers that live in the South, 
it was a question of whether they should leave. Some of them just left, they can't deal with slavery or they should stay and oppose it and all that. Whereas it doesn't seem most of the Jews act in that way. And that's something that I think we have to do tshuva for. We have to repent for because um, I would hope that Judaism pushes us to be a little bit more woke, to, to understand. I would have hoped that it would have, Judaism would have told every Jew, whether you're living in the South, near a plantation or whatever, that this is wrong. So we have to look and see what, what was wrong with, with, where did Judaism go wrong that there were, now in those days, there weren't the great scholars, in the, 18, in the 18, 19th century, there weren't the great scholars, the great rabbis, but I don't know a lot of writings from the great rabbis in Europe of the 19th century who decried slavery. One thing I'll say is that my rabbi, Rav Aaron Soloveitchik, um, spoke up um, for the Igbos in Nigeria, who were, if you remember from the 1970s, early 70s, who were starved by Nigeria. He spoke up for Vietnam. He was very much against the Vietnam War and most Orthodox rabbis were not. And so, um, you know, I think that uh, he did speak out. He was different. He, his Judaism told him that we can't tolerate these kind of things. And I just wish there would have been more Rabbi Aaron Soloveitchik, again, in that would have spoken out. Um, uh, we have like uh, two more minutes. I mean, I'm, Pam, can we stay a, a couple minutes more or how we? Um, we could, but we generally tend to wrap up right on time. Okay. Um, so uh, Edison, Edson Atwood, sorry, um, said there's a saying when there's rabbinic well, will, a famous uh, blue greenberg, uh, there is a rabbinic way. It's just a matter of finding the right rabbis. Okay, this is very important. So we have, you know, 60 seconds to answer it. And that is, um, I believe that when you are bothered by something in Jewish law, you don't just shop around and find a rabbi that, that agrees with or that rabbi or that authority needs to consult with others and we need to work on it. And we have to come up with a consensus. We have to really, so it, it's sort of like a free market. Like it's not just, I think Judaism is this and therefore I'm gonna do this. It really has to be, you have to show that the tradition supports that. You have to really work on it and show your proofs. And, and, and so it's not just finding the right rabbi that'll say the right thing. It's first of all, sincerely finding a rabbi you respect or an authority you respect. And second of all, that person really can't just come up with a crackpot idea. They have to come and show that there are other people that agree with me. Maybe not the majority, but certainly a strong minority. So that's sort of where it, it's important. I do believe that, you know, where there's a rabbinical well, will, there's a halachic way that, that halacha does move and grow, meaning Jewish law moves and grows because people are sensitive. And then they relook at the tradition and then they realize, ah, the tradition was more woke than I thought. Just like Abraham, had he looked a little bit more, he would have said, God never told me to slaughter my son. So um, let the questions continue, uh, sort of an introduction. But um, I see the picture of uh, Rabbi Shmuley Yanklewitz. Oh, yeah, I, I've been here. Sorry if you couldn't see my video for a while. I but couldn't. Yeah. Now I see you. Yay. Ray Ravasha, thank you so much for this. Do you want to take one last question? Sure, sure. Okay, um, yeah. Um, so what about the inequality of uh, divorce and agunot? It definitely should be a priority. I must say, like, uh, 
I mean, Rav Shmuley knows it's been such a struggle, and, and Rabbi Chaitovsky knows it's been. And I don't know. I, I'm sorry, I'm not seeing everyone on the on the call. It's been such a struggle, and we've actually lost a great fighter in that, Rabbi Simcha Krauss, who established a court that would help women uh, get out of this aguna status. Um, uh, I'm I'm stumped by this question because you know Rabbi Eliezer Berkowitz talked about it whatever, 50, 60 years ago, and we've had solutions. Uh, and, it, you know, it's been so uh, difficult uh, to solve. And there are others that are solving it by eliminating the whole institution of Jewish marriage, which is very, uh, right, which is very sad. It can be solved. It's really a question of rabbinic will. And, and I remember when Rabbi Krauss had his Beit Deen, I was at Chove Torah at the time at this Monorthodox yeshiva, and I said, we're going to get 100 rabbis to come out and say, we support your court that is basically guaranteeing a woman, no woman will be held captive by the husband not granting her a Jewish divorce. And that baiting, that court would find a way of doing it. We're going to get 100 rabbis that support you. For some reason, it didn't happen, but I remember going around calling people. I had the names. Uh, so we just, there needs to be that rabbinic will. There needs to be that will that 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 uh, not only finds a halachic way, a legal way, because there are, but that there's an acceptance of that. And, you know, other rabbis have been working on it and there are all sorts of solutions to it, but there just needs to be um, that will. And, uh, and by the way, there are also some men where their wives won't give them a, a Jewish divorce that also have a, a hard time. So uh, it, it is a terrible issue and, and we love the idea of marriage, you know, so it, it's it's very painful, but I, you know, I won't give up. And and I know Rabbi Yankowitz won't give up and Rabbi Chaitovsky, and we're all gonna, gonna push for that kind of, uh, that kind of equality. Awesome, thank you so much. There's so much more to talk about on this on this incredibly rich topic. and. And you um, you brought us on so many different levels of this clash and sometimes synergy between tradition and um, and sensitivity uh, towards others and uh, and how those intersect politically. So thank you so much for that. And friends, thank you BMH and Rabbi Chitowski for your partnership today. And um, we're going to learn with Rabbi Joseph Tolushkin at BMH this the in person this Sunday night. We hope you'll join us in Denver if you're out there, um, or and Monday night here in Phoenix with Rabbi Tolushkin once again. And if you're not in Phoenix or Denver, you can join us online for both of those and for many other great programs. So thank you all so much for joining us and have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much and a great Pesach. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybatemadrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.